theme song. How about that? Not too shabby. Very smooth, very jazzy. An original beat. An original composition by my lifelong friend Micah D. Julius. Now living in Queens. Great drummer. Great pianist. I got to really pronounce that word. Pianist. That'd be weird if I just called him a great drummer. And quite a penis, Micah D. Julius, heir to the Orange Julius throne, the family fortune. Actually, that's not true. No relation. But Micah coming through with a very nice beat. I just asked him, can you do something? Can you do something for my podcast? A little jazzy like the far side, maybe a little roots, a little tribe called quest. And of course, I have not evolved with my hip hop taste. That's really still all I want to listen to. So, Old Man Rosenberg, get off my lawn. I'm not feeling any of the new rap I've heard in the last 10 years. Sorry. When I watch the Grammys, I just, I have the eye roll, the constant eye roll. What is this? Who enjoys this bullshit? But Micah, whipping up that beat in what seemed like a few minutes, I told him, give me something timeless. What I hear on the radio today, I'm not feeling, and he did it well. So, that'll be the theme song to this. Let's associate that like Paul Anka's theme song to The Tonight Show, and Micah will get all of the royalties because I'll be making zero dollars and zero cents from this podcast for the rest of my life, so Micah will get a solid percentage of that. And just saying, my friend Micah from Queens made my beat, it makes me sound cool. Let's be honest. Queens? How many cities sound that cool? Yeah, my buddy out in Queens. Queens, Vermont? No, motherfucker. Queens, New York. Yeah, he's neighbors with Prince Akeem. You know, the Prince of Zamunda. He's looking for his wife. I've known Micah so long, we actually formed our sense of humor together. I don't know if that's possible. We formed our identities together, so every time I talk to him, it's like a mirror. He sounds exactly like me. He's my voice clone. Not even sure if he realizes that. But I do know we both discovered comedy together. Our moms took us to the old Bonkers Comedy Club. Believe it or not, there used to be a little comedy club in Terra Linda, right around here, at the Four Points Sheraton in the Lobby Lounge. And there would be, I don't know, 30 seats, 40 seats. But when we were like 12, 13 years old, our moms took us. And for some reason, we were fearless, wanted to sit in the front row. Definitely don't feel that way when I go to comedy clubs nowadays. Sit me the fuck away. Do not heckle me. Do not look at me. But back then, Micah and I, we would just sit in the front row. And Micah had the loudest laugh on planet Earth. And the comics would notice. And it was just the greatest. Not even sure of the caliber of comics that would perform there. But I do remember Carlos Alazraki. And for all of you who know the name, stop lying. No, you don't. He is from Reno 911. Decent show. And he is the voice of the Chihuahua from the Taco Bell commercials. Not making that up. But Carlos Alazraki, I remember just killing it. And of course, our memories become more powerful over time. So I'm not sure that he was just killing it. Maybe it was just Micah and I sitting front row laughing in a silent room, but I'll never forget my first experience with comedy being with good old Micah who made this beat. All right, next. All right, in the DIY podcast, what's next? Who made the graphic art? Who made the logo for the show? That's Brandon Lye. Come on down, Brandon. And yeah, a little grassroots effort. Brandon said he'll do a little logo art for this podcast. I said, look at a few of my favorites. I just want something simple. And he whipped it up so you could see that. But you could also check him out online. He is the, uh, no big deal, lead concept artist at Hangar 13. A division of 2K Games. Huh? Am I making any sense? Probably not. But for all the gamers out there, 2K, one of the heavyweights in the video game industry. I need cue cards right now if I'm going to talk about video games because I have no clue what the fuck I'm talking about. 
I think I tapped out after Duck Hunt. No, I made it through Sonic. I got to Mortal Kombat. BB Back Back B. Scorpion. Finish him. Sega Genesis. And then, what is that, the mid-90s? And then I tapped out. I don't think I've played a video game since Mortal Kombat in 1997. 96? But yeah, Brandon, working in that world, living the dream. The greatest artist I've ever seen. I know it sounds like I'm exaggerating. Maybe even sounds like I'm kidding. But full bias. You know, some people say no bias. Yeah, full bias. Clearly, I have a bias. He's the greatest artist I've ever seen. I grew up watching this guy do art. And that's part of the beauty of it. Watching the process of a piece come together. Yeah, everybody could just look at finished art and it's nice. But to see the creation, isn't that why Bob Ross was so popular? If you just saw Bob Ross's art in a gallery, it'd be good. It would be very good. Don't get me wrong, but watching the full 25 minutes of Bob Ross calm you down, creating the coastal rocks. I'm just going to put a pine tree right here and beat the devil out of it with that paintbrush. Zero production value, zero bells and whistles, zero special effects, and it was the greatest show on TV. And of course, now the kids have the access to see Bob Ross with the Netflix revolution. Bob Ross t-shirts, Bob Ross socks. I got a pair. I actually had a student buy me a pair of Bob Ross socks. I did not even realize that he's very popular once again. But I always loved how Bob thought people were at home with an easel trying to mix their own paints along with Bob. Come on, Bob. Everybody watching you is stoned on their couch, just enjoying how you create a seagull in the sky in about two seconds. Something that would take us all an hour to attempt. But I digress. I'm sure you came to this podcast for my art views. Okay, here's the bulk of it today. Here's the gist of what I want to go for. I clearly am going to be turning this into an interview show because by now I've had enough of myself, you've had enough of me. But I do want to connect this to my sports radio days for a moment and realize that now it's 2018. The last time I ever hosted a sports radio show, I think it was 2014. And I realized I like sports less. It's just simple. I now like sports less, and I want to explore that for a moment. I've been wondering what the hell it is about me that doesn't get as into it. And it could be obvious age when you're a little kid. It matters so much. When I was a little kid, I remember having insomnia when the Warriors lost. So I did not get a lot of sleep because the Warriors used to lose all the time. But literally, I would lie in bed wondering if there was a center out there who they could possibly get before the trade deadline. Why the players just don't give a fuck three out of four games. No franchise has had more drama than the Warriors. And for a little boy, it really wreaked havoc on my sleep. But nowadays, I don't know. I'm asleep before the fourth quarter. I'd be lying if I said I was a huge Warriors fan anymore. I know that's blasphemy, but it's the truth. Baseball, I don't understand anymore why I can't fully get into it. I'm not sitting around watching a nine-inning baseball game on a Tuesday night. Who's doing that? When I was a kid... I remember going to Candlestick Park and praying for extra innings. I remember that feeling, going with my dad to Candlestick, you know, back in the early 90s, the days of Will Clark, Matt Williams, Kevin Mitchell, and just praying, please let us spend the whole day here. I wanted the game to break the record for innings, for extra innings. I would have sat at a ballpark for 10 hours happily. And now the idea of leaving around the seventh inning or the eighth inning to beat the traffic sounds wonderful. I've become pathetic as a sportsman. I truly am pathetic. Outside of Aztecs athletics, I don't care. And I did go down the path of gambling, online gambling, although I quit cold turkey, just trying to trigger some interest once again. And it does trigger interest. It triggers too much interest. It's easy to see why people get addicted to that. You, know, you turn a random 
Toledo Rice game, college football on a Wednesday night, into something that really matters because you need the under. You start cheering for the defense. You know, you need a turnover here. You need a guy to go wide right with a field goal, and you really start to become invested in a bunch of shit that doesn't matter. So, although I did win, I just want to use this platform to brag a little bit. I tapped out with $600 profit and then said I'll never place another wager again. Online. I mean online. Of course, if I'm in Vegas or Tahoe, let it ride. But if I took away gambling, took away Aztecs athletics today, and I look at sports, I think I've been able to pinpoint the reason. Why do I like sports less? And I know deep down to my core, I'm an addict. I'm a sports addict. But I've realized the reason. I get it now. And I will simply use Chris Mullen as my example. Stay with me. Chris Mullen will be my reference. Yes, picture that flat top, that beautiful man with the flat top. So nowadays, we know too much about the athletes. Scrutinize athletes beyond belief. Way too much access into their lives. They are constantly letting us know their thoughts, their feelings, their experiences, their vacations, their family time. And it's not just the media that perpetuates this, but the athletes. The athletes love social media, and they have hundreds of thousands of followers, millions of followers. I liked the days when athletes were just superheroes that you only saw in uniform on the court or on the field. Nowadays, we see their wives. We know everything about their taste, what music they listen to. Think about that. They tweet and tweet and tweet to the point where the allure of actually seeing them live in person for me is not what it used to be. I never knew anything about Chris Mullen. Never knew anything about his wife, about his kids. But going to Warriors games back in the day, and I would sit with my dad, and we would watch the guys come out of the tunnel, and when they would come out of the tunnel for warm-ups, it was like Elvis. All right, that's a shitty reference, because I never saw Elvis, but they were like rock stars. You didn't know what their lives were like. And I do remember my first Warriors game ever seeing Chris Mullen. There he is. Heard about him, talked about him, read about him, certainly didn't read any tweets, didn't know that his wife had a cookbook out there, because that wasn't how it was. But he is the perfect example of a time when I liked sports more. And here's why. I'll finally get to the point. I know I'm dragging this. So he's a high draft pick out of St. John's back in the great days of the Big East, the days of Ed Pinckney, Patrick Ewing, when the Big East was the big dog. And by the way, the Big East, when they launched, it was when ESPN launched. So they were tied together. And as you saw the Big East surge, there was a great ESPN 30 for 30, Requiem. I'm mispronouncing that. Requiem for the Big East. ESPN was also surging early, all sports, all day, it'll never work. But the Big East was huge, and there was this left-handed shooter out of St. John's, this white guy, who was just amazing. He was a big deal. And of course, the Warriors take him, and this is pre-flat top Chris Mullen, so if you can picture that, obviously it's not the Chris Mullen that we grew to love with Run TMC. But by his third season, the story came out that he was battling alcoholism, and he went to rehab during the season, and it was not like a giant scandalous story. This is the late 80s. Media cameras were not following him all over the place like Johnny Manziel or Alden Smith. You know, there was no footage of Mullen stumbling out of a pub slurring his words that would go viral. Simply, Mullen went to rehab. It worked. Believe it or not, he came back. Never had another drink as the story goes. Honestly, the guy never had another drink. Put together a Hall of Fame career. Became a legend. One of the most likable Bay Area figures of all time true gym rat by definition and that's all fans know could you imagine nowadays if a big-time college athlete came out 
couple years into his career, he revealed that he was an alcoholic. And his coach, back then it was Don Nelson, said, go to rehab. It's the middle of the fucking season. The guy just goes to rehab. And fans back then, they don't have all access into his life. He's not tweeting from rehab. They just accept it. They say, hey, get well. He comes back. He is well. Never has another drink. And then all of a sudden, they take Hardaway out of UTEP, Mitch Richmond out of Kansas State, and they put together only two seasons. I know, in retrospect, it seems like it was a much longer run, but Run TMC was only two seasons of something special. And I've got such a loser's mentality that I actually embrace those memories more than what we're currently seeing. The Curry, Kevin Durant squad, the Draymond, Quay Thompson, glorious dynasty that's building right now. And it's weird to think, although it's entertaining. I liked the days when you didn't really know much about the athletes' lives. I think I'm in the minority. I think a lot of people do embrace the fact that these athletes are on full display at all times. But the incessant coverage off the court, off the field, it's too much. It's not my flavor, which which is very weird because I worked in sports radio where it is the flavor. Just this week, Reuben Foster of the 49ers. Domestic violence, they find a gun in his home. It is wall-to-wall coverage. You think the hosts are enjoying talking about that every segment, every day? No, you're providing a service, though. I realize sports radio is entertainment. This is not exactly journalism. It's entertainment. People tune in. They want to hear the scintillating gossip of the sports world. They got it. It's the TMZ generation. But for some reason, it has repelled me, which is why I like sports nostalgia way more than what's currently happening. The ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries, they're like the source of joy in my life. They capture, you know, stuff that I already experienced, but they add good narration. They add a good score. They pick the highlights. An hour and a half later, you're almost in tears. Some of these ESPN 30 for 30s, let's be honest, they're astounding. Have you seen Once Brothers with Vladi Divac talking about his friend Drazen Petrovic? Remember him with the Nets who passed away? It's just insane. You get a whole world history lesson on Yugoslavia, Croatia, Tony Kukoc, and all these guys who we remember their names, but little do we know the strife that they were experiencing. This ESPN 30 for 30 Once Brothers, it tells the full story, tugs on your heartstrings. It's just such an emotional tale. It's incredible. That's got to be my favorite one ever. Or the best that never was. About a guy I never heard of. Marcus Dupree. Marcus Dupree had a little career at Oklahoma. Had a cup of coffee with the Rams. But truly, he was the best that never was. And I don't want to just go over the whole documentary. But if you were to watch it, you see a guy who's still alive. You know, just living his life. It's almost like he forgot the career he had. What he experienced. And the documentarian, the filmmaker... At one point, shows him footage of what he looked like in high school, and it was just amazing. Makes you think, if you were able to see a video of yourself in high school, what emotions would come to the surface? If you were being filmed doing something you are proud of, if there was something you were proud of in high school, and you are able to see it now as an adult later in life, it would be a totally different experience. And that's what this documentary did. And this tangent has gone in a weird direction. A weird fucking direction. By the way, swearing on the podcast? How liberating is this? Swearing is just man-made. Have you ever thought about this? Time Magazine had a great article about the origin of profanity, swear words altogether. You know, by nature, all of it is sexual or racist. If you really trace back all of the roots of all of the bad words, it's just the fact that we, people, decided to say, that's slang, that's derogatory, that hurts to hear. But how sad for those swear words. 
You know, I wish it was like anything. We hope for equality. Why aren't all words created equal? Why is it that we're just not allowed to swear at all times? I'm a high school teacher. I don't swear in the classroom, but when the bell rings, the students, they leave, they all swear. The teachers, most of us swear. Who deemed this such a negative? I love it. I hate when people call it cussing. Cussing. No, let's call it swearing. People who call it cussing are probably the people who call dinner supper. Can't stand that. But it was a great article in Time Magazine. I forget most of it, but it just uh, went to show that the Roman Empire, the ancient Roman Empire, they were using swear words. Of course, swear words over time, they lose their intensity. They lose their impact. You know, think of the word bastard 30 years ago. You didn't hear bastard on the radio, on TV. Now you say bastard wherever you want. It's barely a swear word. I wonder if that happens with fuck one day. If fuck all, all of a sudden just loses its luster. That's a strong one, though. And that's really the only one I love. I could do without all the others, but fuck is good. I fuck will change a whole sentence. I hate when people say, you know, comics should be able to work clean. Bullshit. Richard Pryor thrived on profanity. You ever see Richard Pryor live on Sunset Strip? His use of profanity is an art form. It helped his act. Richard Pryor, without swearing, I don't think he's as good. <gasps> is that controversial? Is that a controversial comment on this dumb podcast? Swearing should be all over society. It should be on the radio at all times. It should be in every TV show. It should be in every conversation because it would make most conversations more colorful. And small talk is just so hard. God damn. Small talk? When did small talk get so hard? Someone says any weekend plans to me. I clam up. How have you been? Why is that such a tough question? How have you been? What do you need me to say right now? I mean, I'm pretty good at dismissive small talk. You know, usually if you have to be in the same room with somebody and you got to go down the path of small talk, you get into the weather real quick. It's supposed to be cold next week, huh? It's been sunny lately. It's interesting for February, huh? It's been sunny. We love the weather for small talk. And is it almost Friday? In the workplace, that is the key to success when it comes to small talk. Is it almost Friday? That'll get you a smile and then on your merry way. But I can't stand when people are so good at small talk. That's an awful thing to be so good at. And you know who you are. You know you've seen these people as well. Last week I was at the dentist and I am great when it comes to just getting down to business. They want to talk about life. Let's talk about dentistry. They want to know about my family. Let's talk about molars and cavities. But the guy who sat down next to me, you know, one curtain away, he sits down, he knows everything about the hygienist, he knows everything about everybody in the office, hey, how's Carol, huh? Her kids are growing up, huh? And then he has to tell everybody about his kids, and he's showing pictures on his iPhone, and he's got an assessment of Trump, and he's ready to talk about the Russian probe, and his thoughts about the Grammys, and on and on and on and on he went. And I just was sitting there in misery, torture, listening to this guy who perfected what he thinks is just casual small talk. And everybody in the dentist office loves him. Clearly, they hate me. But this is probably the category of least favorite humans. They are towards the top. The people that are just dynamite. That's small talk. All right, how negative can I be? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm taking you down a dark path, and I don't mean to. Let me brighten up your day. All right, let me now think about some noteworthy things in the world of entertainment that you should be watching or that will make you smile. Two things before I get out of here. Number one, Fred Armisen, Stand Up for Drummers. If you haven't seen this, it's on Netflix right now, and it truly is Stand Up for Drummers. 
There has never been a more appropriate title for a stand-up comedy special. And by the way, Netflix is just heaven for comedy nerds like me. Every week. Every week. You used to have to wait and wait and wait for a comic to put out a special, an hour-long special. Now every single week you get something new. It's wonderful. But Fred Armisen from Saturday Night Live, which he owned, by the way, if you go back and watch some of the skits Fred was in, he owned that show. And then Portlandia, which is not exactly sketch comedy, kind of like little shorts brilliant and of course he's gifted but when you watch this special stand up for drummers you get to see him play all these drum sets from the 20s to the 30s to the 40s to the 50s to the 60s and you realize ah, oh, the guy's a fucking genius you know his comedy it's absurdist comedy he's got a little smidge of andy kaufman in him you know you're not sure if it's character comedy character comedy which used to be popular back in the days of bobcat goldthwaite or Andrew Dice Clay, when people weren't really themselves on stage, but they were in a character that was still pretty funny. That's Fred. Like, is this really Fred if you went and had a drink with him, if you went and had coffee with him? Or is this the character Fred Armisen? Either way, it was brilliant. And he brings out Trey Cool from Green Day at one point, and they just jam. It's like the perfect combination of percussion and comedy. And isn't that what we're searching for in life? The perfect combination of percussion and comedy. And the other one, uh, is a documentary that I guarantee you have not seen called Gottfried about somebody that I guarantee you know nothing about, Gilbert Gottfried, except for the fact that he shows up on roasts with that voice, another character comic. But it is so good. It's even emotional, which is weird. You know, you almost fight back tears watching a documentary about Gilbert Gottfried, but it's all about the dark underbelly of life as a comic. It's the opposite of glitz and glamour. It's really depressing to see that a guy like this, he's totally successful. You know, people know who he is. He was a voice in the movie Aladdin. He was in Problem Child. Okay, I guess not totally successful if Problem Child is at the top of my list of credits for Gilbert. But Aladdin, I don't know. I'm trying to pretend like I've seen any cartoons. I haven't. But you know what I mean. He's famous. And my favorite profession, stand-up comedy. I've always been fascinated with these people. It looks so depressing. So many shows and books about it, now for us comedy nerds, where we get to read about their lives, and all of a sudden, that profession looks awful. It has to be a calling. I truly believe that. It's something you're born with, that you're willing to just sacrifice so much of your joy and connectedness to society to go from city to city, and I mean little shitty cities, all over the place, staying in the worst hotel, motel, roach-infested spots, just ugly ugly towns where the crowds are not going to laugh at you you'll bomb half your shows but the documentary godfried you would never guess gilbert godfried he's married he has these cute kids but he has so many quirks to him you get to see all of his flaws and i know a lot of people say oh the greatest comedians they're really suffering inside and when you watch godfried you wonder you wonder what what is his genetic makeup I know it's getting a, a very deep to discuss Gilbert Gottfried, but once you see it, you'll understand what I mean. All right, so that's your homework. Fred Armisen, stand-up for drummers. Gilbert Gottfried, the documentary about him and depressing life on the road and tells his whole story about making the awful comment about the Japanese tsunami when he got fired as the Aflac duck voice. What a weird resume he has now that I think about it. But check it out. And also check out my book. I guess that's how I have to end every podcast. What if that's the only reason I'm doing this podcast is to push this book? Hey, you made it this far. It's called Suddenly Facing Reality. Go ahead. Pretend you love it. Read it all. Give me a great review on Amazon and let's all get famous together. Or not. You can follow me on Twitter if you want. Rosenberg 957 
I always give you the out or not. Who gives a fuck? I mean, really, what is Twitter? Uh, I feel compelled to tell you about my Friendster account, MySpace, and all these great social media platforms where you could find me. But really, if you're one of the six people listening to this, I thank you. All right, podcast two in the books. I'll talk to you next time.